Chapter Fourteen of the Stillwater Tragedy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Stillwater Tragedy by Thomas Bailey Aldrich. Chapter Fourteen. On the third morning after Torini's expulsion from the yard, Mr. Slocum walked into the studio with a printed slip in his hand. A similar slip lay crumpled under a workbench where Richard had tossed it. Mr. Slocum's kindly visage was full of trouble and perplexity as he raised his eyes from the paper, which he had been rereading on the way upstairs. "'Look at that!' "'Yes,' remarked Richard. "'I have been honoured with one of those documents. "'What does it mean?' "'It means business.' The paper in question contained a series of resolutions, unanimously adopted at a meeting of the Marble Workers' Association of Stillwater, held in Grimsey's Hall the previous night. Dropping the preamble, these resolutions, which were neatly printed with a typewriting machine on a half-letter sheet, ran as follows. Resolved that on and after the 1st of June proximo, the pay of carvers at Slocum's Marble Yard shall be $2.75 per day instead of $2.50 as heretofore. Resolved that on and after the same date, the rubbers and polishers shall have $2 per day instead of $1.75 as heretofore. Resolved that on and after the same date, the millmen are to have $2 per day instead of $1.75 as heretofore. Resolved that during the months of June, July, and August, the shops shall knock off work on Saturdays at 5 p.m. instead of at 6 p.m. Resolved that a printed copy of these resolutions be laid before the proprietor of Slocum's Marble Yard, and that his immediate attention to them be respectfully requested. Per order of Committee, Marble Workers Association. Terini is at the bottom of that, said Mr. Slocum. I hardly think so. This arrangement, as I told you the other day before I had the trouble with him, has been in contemplation several weeks. Undoubtedly, Torini used his influence to hasten the movement already planned. The association has too much shrewdness to espouse the quarrel of an individual. What are we to do? If you are in the same mind you were when we talked over the possibility of an unreasonable demand like this, there is only one thing to do. Fight it? Fight it. I have been resolute, and all that sort of thing in times past, observed Mr. Slocum, glancing out of the tail of his eye at Richard, and have always come off second best. The association has drawn up most of my rules for me, and it has its own way, generally. Since my time, you have never been in so strong a position to make a stand. We have got all the larger contracts out of the way. Foreseeing what was likely to come, I have lately fought shy of taking new ones. Here are heavy orders from Rafter and Son, the Builders' Company, and others— we must decline them by tonight's mail. Is it really necessary? asked Mr. Slocum, knitting his forehead into what would have been a scowl if his mild pinkish eyebrows had permitted it. I think so. I hate to do that. Then we are at the mercy of the association. If we do not come to their terms, you seriously believe they will strike? I do, replied Richard, and we should be in a pretty fix. But these demands are ridiculous. The men are not aware of our situation. They imagine we have a lot of important jobs on hand, as usual at this season. Formerly, the foreman of a shop had access to the order book, but for the last year or two I have kept it in the safe here. The other day Dexter came to me and wanted to see what work was set down already in the blotter, but I had an inspiration and didn't let him post himself. Is not some kind of compromise possible? suggested Mr. Slocum, looking over the slip again. Now this fourth clause, about closing the yard an hour early on Saturdays, I don't strongly object to that. 
though with eighty hands it means, every week, eighty hours' work which the yard pays for and doesn't get. I should advise granting that request. Such concessions are never wasted. But, Mr. Slocum, this is not going to satisfy them. They have thrown in one reasonable demand merely to flavor the rest. I happen to know that they are determined to stand by their program to the last letter. You know that? I have a friend at court. Of course, this is not to be breathed, but Denovan, without being at all false to his comrades, talks freely with me. He says they are resolved not to give an inch. Then we will close the works. That is what I wanted you to say, sir, cried Richard. With this new scale of prices and plenty of work, we might probably come out a little ahead the next six months, but it wouldn't pay for the trouble and the capital invested. Then, when trade slackened, we'd be running at a loss, and there'd be another wrangle over a reduction. We had better lie idle. Stick to that, sir, and maybe it will not be necessary. But if they strike, they won't all strike. At least, added Richard, I hope not. I have indirectly sounded several of the older hands, and they have half promised to hold on, only half promised, for every man of them at heart fears the trades unions more than no bread, until no bread comes. Whom have you spoken with? Lumley, Giles, Peterson, and some others. Your pensioners, I call them. Yes, they were in the yard in my father's time. They have not been worth their salt these ten years. When the business was turned over to me, I didn't discharge any old hand who had given his best days to the yard. Somehow I couldn't throw away the squeezed lemons. An employer owes a good workman something beyond the wages paid, and a workman owes a good employer something beyond the work done. You stood by these men after they outlived their usefulness, and if they do not stand by you now, they are a shabby set. I fancy they will, Richard. I think they had better, and I wish they would. We have enough odds and ends to keep them busy a while, and I shouldn't like to have the clinking of chisels die out altogether under the old sheds. Nor I, returned Mr. Slocum, with a touch of sadness in his intonation. It has grown to be a kind of music to me. And he paused to listen to the sounds of ringing steel that floated up from the workshop. Whatever happens, that music shall not cease in the yard except on Sundays, if I have to take the mallet and go at a slab all alone. Slocum's yard with a single workman in it would be a pleasing spectacle, said Mr. Slocum, smiling ruefully. It wouldn't be a bad time for that workman to strike, returned Richard with a laugh. He could dictate his own terms, returned Mr. Slocum soberly. Well, I suppose you cannot help thinking about Margaret, but don't think of her now. Tell me what answer you propose to give the association, how you mean to put it, for I leave the matter wholly to you. I shall have no hand in it further than to endorse your action. Tomorrow, then, said Richard, for it is no use to hurry up a crisis. I shall go to the workshops and inform them that their request for short hours on Saturdays is granted, but that the other changes they suggest are not to be considered. There will never be a better opportunity, Mr. Slocum, to settle another question which has been allowed to run too long. What's that? The apprentice question. Would it be wise to touch on that at present? While we are straightening out matters and putting things on a solid basis, it seems to me essential to settle that. There was never a greater imposition, or one more short-sighted, than this rule which prevents the training of sufficient workmen. The trade union will discover their error some day, when they have succeeded in forcing manufacturers to import skilled labor by the wholesale. I would like to tell the Marble Workers Association that Slocum's Yard has resolved to employ as many apprentices each year as there is room for. I wouldn't dare risk it. It will have to be done sooner or later. It would be a capital flank movement now. They have laid themselves open to an attack on that quarter. I might as well close the gates for good and all. 
So you will, if it comes to that. You can afford to close the gates, and they can't afford to have you. In a week they'll be back, asking you to open them. Then you could have your pick of the live hands, and drop the dead wood. If Giles or Peterson or Lumley or any of those desert us, they are not to be let on again. I hope you will promise me that, sir. If the occasion offers, you shall reorganize the shops in your own way. I haven't the nerve for this kind of business, though I have seen a great deal of it in the villages, first and last. Strikes are terrible mistakes. Even when they succeed, what pays for the lost time and the money squandered over the tavern bar? What makes up for the days or weeks when the fire was out on the hearth and the children had no bread? This is what happens, you know. There is no remedy for such calamities, Richard answered. Yet I can imagine occasions when it would be better to let the fire go out and the children want for bread. You are not advocating strikes, exclaimed Mr. Slocum. Why not? I thought you were for fighting them. So I am, in this instance. But the question has two sides. Every man has the right to set a price on his own labor, and to refuse to work for less. The wisdom of it is another matter. He puts himself in the wrong only when he menaces the person or the property of the man who has an equal right not to employ him. That is the blunder strikers usually make in the end, and one by which they lose public sympathy, even when they are fighting an injustice. Now sometimes it is an injustice that is being fought, and then it is right to fight it with the only weapon a poor man has to wield against a power which possesses a hundred weapons, and that's a strike. For example, the smelters and casters and the Minnetowana ironworks are meanly underpaid. What, have they struck? There's a general strike threatened in the village, foundry men, spinners, and all. So much the worse for everybody. I did not suppose it was as bad as that. What has become of Torini? The day after he left us, he was taken on as forgeman at Dana's. I am glad Dana has got him. At the meeting last night, Torini gave in his resignation as secretary of the association. Being no longer a marble worker, he was not qualified to serve. We unhorsed him, then? Rather. I am half sorry, too. Richard, said Mr. Slocum, halting in one of his nervous walks up and down the room, you are the oddest composition of hardness and softness I ever saw. Am I? One moment you stand braced like a lion to fight the whole yard, and the next moment you are pitying a miscreant who would have laid your head open without the slightest compunction. Oh, I forgive him, said Richard. I was a trifle hasty myself. Margaret thinks so, too. Much Margaret knows about it. I was inconsiderate, to say the least. When a man picks up a tool by the wrong end, he must expect to get cut. You didn't have a choice. I shouldn't have touched Torini. After discharging him and finding him disposed to resist my order to leave the yard, I ought to have called in a constable. Usually it is very hard to anger me, but three or four times in my life I have been carried away by a devil of a temper which I couldn't control. It seized me so unawares. That was one of the times. The mallets and chisels were executing a blithe staccato movement in the yard below, and making the sparks dance. No one walking among the diligent gangs, and observing the placid faces of the men as they bent over their tasks, would have suspected that they were awaiting the word that meant bread and meat and home to them. As Richard passed through the shops, dropping a word to a workman here and there, the man addressed looked up cheerfully and made a furtive dab at the brown paper cap, and Richard returned the salute smilingly but he was sad within. The foolish fellows, he said to himself, they are throwing away a full loaf and are likely to get none at all. Giles and two or three of the ancients were squaring a block of marble under a shelter by themselves. Richard made it a point to cross over and speak to them. In past days he had not been exacting with these old boys. 
and they always had a welcome for him. Slocum's yard seldom presented a serener air of contented industry than it wore that morning. But in spite of all this smooth outside, it was a foregone conclusion, with most of the men, that Slocum, with Shackford behind him, would never submit to the new scale of wages. There were a few who had protested against these resolutions, and still disapproved of them, but were forced to go with the association, which had really been dragged into the current by the other trades. The Dana Mills and the Minnetowana Iron Works were paying lighter wages than similar establishments nearer the great city. The managers contended that they were paying as high, if not higher, rates, taking into consideration the cheaper cost of living in Stillwater. "'But you get city prices for your wares,' retorted the union. "'You don't pay city rents, and you shall pay city wages.' Meetings were held at Grimsey's Hall, and the subject was canvassed, at first calmly and then stormily. Among the molders, and possibly the sheet-iron workers, there was cause for dissatisfaction, but the dissatisfaction spread to where no grievance existed. It seized upon the spinners, and finally upon the marble workers. Torini fanned the flame there. Taking for his text the rentage question, he argued that Slocum was well able to give a trifle more for labor than his city competitors. The annual rent of a yard like Slocum's would be four thousand or five thousand dollars in the city. It doesn't cost Slocum two hundred dollars. It is no more than just that the laborer should have a share. He only asks a beggarly share of the prosperity which he has helped to build up. This was specious and taking. Then there came down from the great city a glib person disguised as the working man's friend, no working man himself, mind you, but a ghoul that lives upon subscriptions and sucks the senses out of innocent human beings, who managed to set the place by the ears. The result of all which was that one May morning every shop, mill, and factory in Stillwater was served with a notice from the trades union, and a general strike threatened. But our business at present is exclusively with Slocum's Yard. End of chapter 14